Isaiah chapter 18. And I just, again, those of you that would like to scoot forward, you're not going to hurt my feelings any. Amen? Uh, the closer you uh, are, the better. Isaiah chapter 18, and this chapter has seven verses, uh, and we'll be just in Isaiah 18 tonight. Uh, tonight. Chapter 19 starts a whole other thought, so uh, I believe there's a lot for us here to be encouraged by. Once you've found that, if you're able to, if you'd stand for the reading of God's Word, and we'll look at the first three verses by way of introduction, and then uh, we'll be looking at all seven verses throughout the evening. The Bible says here, Woe to the land shadowing with wings, which is beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, that sendeth ambassadors by the sea, even in vessels of bulrushes upon the waters, saying, Go, ye swift messengers, to a nation scattered and peeled, to a people terrible from their beginning hitherto, a nation meted out, uh, meted out and trodden down, whose land the rivers have spoiled. All ye inhabitants of the world and dwellers on the earth, see ye uh, when he lifteth up an ensign or a banner on the mountains, and when he bloweth a trumpet, hear ye. Here uh, the Lord is speaking to the nation or region of Cush. Cush would be our, um, well, I'll get into that in a moment. I believe the, the translation here, Ethiopia, to be accurate. I believe that describes the proper region. There's debate about that. We'll talk about that here in a moment. Uh, and they are fearful over the Assyrian army coming down and uh, wreaking havoc on them the way they had been on many other regions. And Isaiah is saying to them, listen, uh, uh, Ethiopia, listen, Cush, don't fear, have faith. Don't fear, have faith. God will take care of the Assyrians before they ever make it to you. Many of the burdens we've been looking at uh, involve God's judgment and punishment we saw Israel and Syria last week, how they were going to be wiped out and punished and taken into captivity. Ethiopia is not going to be punished tonight. This burden is not a burden of punishment from God, but more of a burden that they're brought upon themselves by their own fear. And I'll just say tonight that oftentimes when we are fearful, we are bringing our own punishment on top of ourselves. Uh, fear carries with it its own consequence, and the answer to fear is faith. So the title of the Bible study tonight is this, Fear That Overcomes Faith. Fear that overcomes faith that overcomes fear. I got that backwards, amen? Fear can overcome faith as well, if we're focused on the fear, but faith that overcomes fear. Let's pray together tonight. Lord, help us tonight as we look at uh, these seven verses and then other passages and make some great applications. Lord, help us to walk away gauging our own hearts, seeing where we're fearful, and Lord, uh, where we're lacking faith. And Lord, help us to trust you. Ultimately, you're in control of our lives. You're in control of our health. You're in control of our finances. You're in control of our relationships. And so, Lord, help us not to try to take that control from you, but to trust you and be obedient to you. And Lord, we ask that tonight that we would walk by faith, and that faith as uh, we go over this, would help overcome that fear. Lord God, help us as we look at these passages, help us to understand and to grow thereby. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well, look with me at verse number 1 of chapter 18 again here. Let's really look at what we're reading. It says, Woe to the land shadowing with wings, which is beyond the rivers of Ethiopia. There has been some debate over who this chapter is written about. 
Um, it says they're beyond the rivers of Ethiopia. And so some would say, well, there are a lot of countries that go beyond the rivers of Ethiopia. What country specifically is it talking about? Some folks read that and they argue Egypt, Egypt, but Egypt is addressed by name in the very next chapter, uh, chapter number 19 and uh, also, uh, I believe, 20. And so some, uh, so that doesn't seem to make sense because uh, Egypt is addressed and talked about in a different way than uh, chapter 18. Some try and read England or the United States into chapter 18. I got to tell you, I don't see it. Um, people love to try to fit the United States into all kinds of prophecies where it's just not there. Uh, you say, Pastor Lejeune, is the United States in the Bible? I can't find it. I just can't. Um, some people have tried to make it out to be Mystery Babylon and Revelation. I don't believe that to be accurate. Uh, I, I, I know we try to Americanize the Bible because we're Americans. And where applications can be made, that's great. Uh, but we have to be honest with the Scriptures here. Some people want to see something so bad that they'll look for it even when it isn't there. I don't think that uh, the land beyond the rivers of Ethiopia is England or the U.S. By the way, the argument they make in verse 2 it talks about the vessels in the bulrushes or in vessels of bulrushes upon the water, and they're going around everywhere. And so they try to say whoever this country is, they have great a great navy. Uh, vessels of bulrushes would not necessarily equate to a great navy. Those are sticks, okay? Uh, so I don't know that that would be a descriptor of the U.S. or England. Um, some uh, The root word here for Ethiopia in verse number 1, the root word is translated, the Hebrew word, Cush. The land of Cush. Now, in uh, Bible times, there were two different lands of Cush. There was an area in Asia called Cush, and then there was a region in Africa that make up modern-day Ethiopia, Somalia, and the Sudan. That's East Africa over there. Um, um, did I get that right? Brother Okai, that's East Africa, correct? I get West and East turned around when I leave America. I leave the U.S. So uh, that's East Africa. Did I get that right? And so the land of Cush would have made up Ethiopia, Somalia, and the Sudan. And there are some context clues right here in these first couple verses that would indicate that this is not talking about Asia, but this is indeed talking about Ethiopia, Cush, Ethiopia, Somalia, uh, that region there. And so let's look at some of those here. Look with me back at verse 1. Woe to the land. Look here. Shadowing with wings. Shadowing which, with wings, which is beyond the rivers of Ethiopia. The Nile River runs down near Ethiopia, and there is a split off. I believe it's called, let's see, is it the Blue Nile? The Blue and the White. I believe that's the Blue Nile that runs that way. Um, so this would be the land that is that runs down that way, so uh, uh, beyond the rivers of Ethiopia. But look there at that phrase, shadowing with wings. To me, that tells us that this is speaking of Africa. And uh, some interesting uh, facts here I learned. Ethiopia is known for its many variety of birds. Who in here knew that? Who in here knew that? Anybody? All right, now I was there. See, I, I educated everybody tonight on something. Uh, it's many variety of birds. In fact, there are 863 known species of birds in Ethiopia, all right? 
18 of these birds are native to Ethiopia. You will not find them outside of the country of Ethiopia. You say, well, pastor, all kinds of countries have lots of varieties of birds. Help me understand how many birds are in Ethiopia. Nine and a half percent of all of the birds in the world make their home in Ethiopia. Nine and a half percent. And 39 percent of all birds in Africa are inside the country of Ethiopia. Now look back at verse 1. Woe to the land shadowing with wings, which is beyond... Again, shadowing with wings. What's that talking about? That's talking about a region of the world with lots and lots and lots of birds. This no question in my mind uh, that we don't need to read something into verse uh, 1 or make this about anything other than what it is. This is speaking of... Ethiopia, Somalia, um, uh, let's see, the Sudan. It's talking about that region of Cush right there. And so, uh, let's see, uh, there, the, the, the verse opens with the word woe. Look at the word woe there. And in our English language, when we see the word woe, we only think of really one translation, and that is like, beware, danger, you've blown it. Right? Uh, all throughout the uh, book of Isaiah and really throughout the prophets, you find that word woe and usually bad things follow. But in this case, the root word translated woe, two other places in the book of Isaiah are translated ah and uh, I, I can't remember the other word. But the idea not of you're in trouble, but more of let me have your attention. It's a word that's calling Ethiopia to listen to the preacher, to listen to the prophet Isaiah. It is not a word of threat. And so take away from your mind the idea of, uh, of, of, uh, of Ethiopia being threatened by God and more that God is just addressing them and calling their attention. So the, the plot here of Isaiah 18 is that the Assyrian army has built up great power, and uh, they, they are a military force to be reckoned with, and they're wreaking havoc as they're uh, looking to take over territories. And now Ethiopia, uh, Cush, the region down there, they're beginning to prepare and get ready for war in case the Assyrians come down their way and want to attack. And God speaks through his prophet Isaiah and says, Hey, listen, you can rest easy. You don't need to worry about the Assyrians. They're never going to make it down to you. So um, what is he telling them? He's telling them God is in control. You don't need to send your ambassadors all over the place. You don't need to make alliances because God will deal with this army. Uh, How many of you have lived life long enough to learn that 90% of the problems that are heading directly down your path Veer into the ditch before they make it to you. How many of you have figured that out? You, you see a big problem coming your way, a big crisis coming your way, and it, oftentimes they get resolved, but not oftentimes, though, not before we get all worked up over it. You know, we're all concerned about it, and we've got all the scenarios playing out in our head, and uh, we're coming up with contingency plans, and uh, we're, we're, we're working things out on our own. We're speaking with people. We're calling counselors. We're speaking to our spouse. We're calling uh, uh, whoever and wherever, and uh, we're coming up with a plan just in case things go disastrously. And Christian, how often do we get down on our knees, and the first thing we do is pray about it? You see, we should pray about it. And God assures us that He is in control. I think of Job. 
And I know Job is maybe an overused illustration, but there's a reason why God had an entire book written about the man. Uh, even when evil came to Job, and that evil was brought on him by Satan, God signed off on it first. Please hear what I'm saying, not with your head, but with your heart. There is no evil that is going to overtake you unless God signs off on it. And if He signs off on it, then there's nothing you can do to prevent the evil from happening. You all with me tonight? God is sovereign. He's in control. He's in control. I got the virus uh, a month ago, and I was very sick. Uh, I lost a lot of weight and was in bed for two weeks. That's the sickest I've ever been. Uh, there were a few other families in the church that got hit with it, and, and uh, they experienced symptoms similar to mine, and other folks got it, and they didn't have those symptoms. Can I tell you that, um, that no matter what precaution I would have taken, if God wanted me to get the virus, I was going to get the virus. I could have locked myself in a room at home and avoided everybody. If, I, if God wanted me to get the virus... I was going to get the virus. And by the way, God decided how sick I was going to be when I got the virus. And he decided when I was going to recover because God is sovereign. Uh, uh, listen, some of you here are fearful over losing your job given the, the, the current political climate. I have fielded, fielded a lot of phone calls and had a lot of people stop by my office and talk to me about vaccine mandates and uh, medical freedom and, and, and all sorts of complicated topics and can I tell you something this evening? Uh, you don't need to live in fear. You need to walk by faith. And instead of letting a media head tell you uh, what to think or how to believe, you need to get in the Bible and you need to read it and study it and you need to spend time on your knees in prayer and you need to let God lead you and guide you and direct you. Are we walking by fear or are we walking by faith? Here, as the chapter opens, the Ethiopians, the Cushites, are living in fear. And, and I have to say, on some level, justifiably so. Um, it is, there's nothing wrong with preparing and planning and, and coming up with military alliances and making sure that you're safe. There is a line between being cautious and being fearful. Being cautious and being fearful. I believe it is biblical and it is right to be cautious. Uh, I think to not be cautious is Foolish. And some people say they walk by faith, and I say, no, you're not walking by faith, you're walking by foolishness. If I were to go out onto Long Island Sound, find a deep spot, and throw myself in the water, and say I'm going to swim back by faith, the Lord's going to take care of me, that's not faith, that's foolishness. And uh, you, you have to use your head. You have to walk by faith, but you, you can do it in a way that's cautious. Um, the, the Cushites here, the Ethiopians, they're being cautious, but it appears as though maybe they're a little bit fearful. I'm not here tonight to throw stones at anyone who is ever driven by fear. There have been plenty of times in my life where I've been fearful, I've been afraid. I've just opened my heart up right here. When I left my family at the airport yesterday and watched them walk toward TSA, there was a twinge of fear in my heart. What if they die in a plane accident and I'm left by myself? And I was able to deal with that through prayer and dismiss it pretty quick. But I can see how that would take over somebody's heart. I'm not here to criticize anyone who's fearful, but I am here to say that God does not cause, call us to walk by fear. He calls us to walk by faith. Let's jump in tonight and let's look at 
faith that overcomes fear. Uh, four simple thoughts tonight. Number one, Ethiopia's fear. Ethiopia's fear. Look back at verses 1 and 2 with me. It says, Woe to the land shadowing with wings, which is beyond the river of Ethiopia, that sendeth ambassadors. Here we see their actions as they're preparing. That sendeth ambassadors by the sea, even in vessels of bulrushes upon the water. So the Cushites had ambassadors, like any uh, uh, structured government would, and they're sending these um, uh, ambassadors all over the place by boat, seeking to find a way, seeking to find somebody that can help them alliance with them, uh, make a pact with them to protect them from the impending doom of the Assyrians. Verse uh, verse, uh, 2 there tells us, it says, uh, Go, ye swift messengers, to a nation scattered and peeled. This is speaking of Israel, of Judah, to a people terrible from their beginning hitherto, a nation meted out and trodden down whose land the rivers were spoiled. So uh, that's speaking of Israel. There's some prophetic implications we'll get into there. And so uh, oftentimes we have problems come into our life and we're fretfully and fearfully running around looking for our own solutions instead of running to the Lord in prayer. Turn over to Psalm chapter 23 with me. Uh, Some of you here have the entire chapter memorized. I believe we're all familiar with it. But if you would, turn over there with me and let's, let's look closely at Psalm 23 this evening. The Bible says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. What that means? I'm emotionally satisfied because the Lord is my shepherd. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. I want you to imagine a shepherd who has... Just had a wolf come running into the flock. And the shepherds had to chase that wolf off. And the sheep are shaking in fear. They're shaking in fear. And uh, the river next to them is rushing by. And there's a tree that juts out in the water. And behind that tree is some water that's calm. And that shepherd leads those sheep that are shaking in fear over to that area. And he gets them to lay down. And there's this one little lamb who won't calm, who won't calm, and is uh, uh, pacing back and forth and jetting off this way and that way. And the shepherd picks that lamb up and holds him in his arms and forces that lamb to lay down there in the grass and says, I'm in charge. I've got everything under control. It's going to be okay. Can that lamb help it that it's so afraid? No, but that lamb can allow the shepherd, to allow it, to help it, to calm down and rest. Look at verse number 3 again. It says, further down in the verse, He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. I'm just going to speak from uh, a, a Christian life experience. The closer I walk with the Lord, the more time I spend in the presence of the Lord, and the less time I spend around voices of influence that are anti the Lord, you know what I find is that I'm less and less and less fearful because I'm walking in His paths, walking in the path of righteousness. And 
I, I become like David. We'll look at a little bit later. Uh, Psalm 118, I, I may not have included that in the notes tonight, but Psalm 118 talks about uh, what I will not fear what man can do unto me. I'm walking in the way of righteousness. But the thought I want us to get to is a little bit deeper in the psalm. Look at me at verse number 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. How many of you here have ever walked through the valley of the shadow of death? Maybe not you, but someone you loved. Right? You cared for deeply, and you watched them as they were approaching death. Maybe they had a scrape with death and they got away with it. Maybe you've just been so low and down and depressed in your life that you felt like you were dying on on the inside. You all know what I'm talking about tonight? Everybody with me tonight? Yea, though I walk through the valley. That's a fearful time. That, that's, a, that's a tough time. That's a scary time. Um, about a year ago, uh, a doctor... Uh, was giving Angela a checkup, and there were some things that concerned the doctor, and they sent Angela to a specialist with uh, the news that there could be something wrong with her that would be uh, could uh, lead to it in, in, in early death. And praise God, everything checked out, and she was fine. But, you know, there was like a three-week waiting period between the first appointment and the second appointment. And do you know how difficult it is to keep your mind from racing places that it shouldn't go? That fear can just take over and grip your soul. The prophet here, or rather David says, I walked through the valley of the shadow of death. He said, but in that, I will fear no evil. How is it that in this time of, of, great, um, uh, of great danger and doom and gloom that we cannot be fearful? Look here. For thou art with me. We find the presence of God. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You know, one end of the, the shepherd's staff has a hook on it, and that pulls the lamb close. The other end of that staff is a rod, and when that lamb won't lay down and obey, well, shepherds, what they'll do is they'll break the back leg of that sheep with that stick and then reset the bone and tape it up, and that, then that lamb can't go anywhere. Sometimes God's staff, it pulls us in during a storm in our life and He holds us close when we walk in His presence and He comforts us. And other times, we are so stubborn in our fear and our refusal to let Him comfort us that He'll take His rod of correction and He'll break us and then He'll comfort us. I sure don't want the rod. I want the staff. Amen? I want him to draw me in and help me. I love verse 5. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. I, I have wondered when David wrote the 23rd Psalm. I have read many different opinions. No one really knows for certain. Some people think he wrote it when he was a little boy, taking care of the sheep. I think that's a nat there's natural reasons to think that. Uh, he would have been out taking care of sheep, writing about the Lord is my shepherd. I tend to lean toward the opinion that he was king. And I imagine that he had just taken the kingdom, gone from being king of Hebron to being king in Jerusalem, and moved into the palace where his father-in-law Saul used to live, Saul who chased him around the kingdom and tried to kill him. 
And now David is standing in that very palace. He's looking at the men who used to serve Saul a meal, who fed the man who was trying to hunt him down, and now they're putting food on the table for him. And David says, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Uh, David said, I walked through the valley of the shadow of death, but you comforted me with your presence and your rod and your staff, and now I have made it through that valley, and now I fear no evil. I am in the presence of mine enemies being fed. Look at the end of verse 5. Thou anointest my head with oil. Speaking back to his youth, my cup runneth over. He says, I'm so filled with blessings, I can't even contain them all. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What I want to draw out of the 23rd Psalm this evening is that if you live life long enough, unless you live in a box or you stay home all day every day, uh, you're going to experience real life troubles, real life concerns that can drum up and cause us to be Afraid, The Ethiopians fear there was an impending doom of the Assyrian army coming down and taking over the land of Cush, the Cushites, the Ethiopians. And uh, we see here that they were afraid. Number two, notice Ethiopia's fortress. Ethiopia's fortress. Look down at verse number three of chapter 18, Isaiah 18. And look at verse number three. The Bible says, All ye inhabitants of the world... And dwellers on the earth. All right, so he's now Isaiah is calling. He's speaking to the Cushites, those in Ethiopia, the Sudan, Somalia, where those countries are today, that region. He's speaking to the East Africans, and he's saying to the he's speaking to them about uh, all of this running around they're doing. He's saying, "Come to the God of Jacob." And then now he's calling the attention of the world as it relates to the Cushites. He says, "All ye inhabitants of the world and dwellers of the earth." See ye, observe, when he lifteth up an ensign, when God lifteth up an ensign or a banner on the mountains, and when he bloweth the trumpet, hear ye. For so the Lord said unto me, I will take my rest, and I will consider in my dwelling place like a clear heat upon herbs, and like a cloud in dew in the heat of the harvest. What is God saying here? He's saying, now I'm speaking to you, Ethiopia, but I want the whole world to take notice that God is in charge. He is at rest, and He is in charge. He is your fortress. Turn over to Psalm chapter number 91. Psalm 91, and look with me at verse number 1. And we're going to read down through verse number 6. I'm going to Psalms this evening that are, uh, should be familiar to you if uh, you are, are at all familiar with the book of Psalm. Psalm 23 is a common Psalm. Psalm 91, I, I have gone to the 91st Psalm many times in uh, times of trouble in my life and have used this to comfort me uh, and experience God's hand of rest in my heart. Look at verse number 1. The Bible says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. There might not be a more beautiful verse in the book of Psalm. I want to ask you a question. Are you dwelling in the presence of God? I don't just mean are you reading three chapters, checking off a list, praying through a prayer list, closing your Bible, and going on with your day. I mean, are you emotionally spending time in the presence of God? When was the last time that you prayed an extra 15, 20, 30 minutes because you just didn't want to leave God's presence? 
When was the last time that God moved your heart in Bible reading and you said, I'm going to read just a little bit longer? When was the last time that you walked away from your devotions and felt like that was extra sweet today? My time with God was extra sweet today. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I can't think of a better place to dwell than under the protective wing of God, the Almighty. Verse 2, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God in Him will I trust. Surely He shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler, or the trap of the hunter, and from the noisome pestilence, the scary sounds, the, 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 the fearful sounds that surround you. He shall cover thee with His feathers, and under His wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. God says, if you dwell in the right place, I'll protect you. I'll keep you safe. I'll be your fortress. Because we serve a God who is all-powerful. We serve a God that is ever-caring. Now, I want to be careful about speaking in absolutes. To say that God is our protection, does that mean that he's never, ever, ever going to let anything bad happen to you? No. No. The end of Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith. The Bible talks about all of these people who wandered around in caves and suffered for the Lord and died as martyrs. Was God their fortress? Was he? I'm sure at the moment when they were suffering and walking around naked in caves and wandering and being martyred, being quartered by horses and and tacked up on X-shaped crosses and nailed on upside, upside down on crosses the way Peter was, Was God their fortress too? The answer is yes, He was. God is our fortress. But that doesn't mean that He'll never let any pain or hurt come into our life. But He knows exactly what He's doing and He knows what's best. God sends Isaiah to tell the Ethiopians, to tell the Cushites, God is at rest while the enemy is raging he is in charge. He is, let's see, look back at the end of verse, verse 4 there. It says, um, uh, uh, and I will consider in my dwelling place like a clear heat upon herbs. You take herbs and you set them down under a heat lamp. And, and, and you roast those herbs. You harden the wheat with that, that light. That is the power of God shining down on your enemy. He says, and like a cloud of dew... In the heat of harvest, I'm going to come and bring relief. I'm going to rain on those uh, that are doing wrong. I'm going to uh, help those that are hurting Ethiopia's fortress. Here's what I want to say tonight to those of you that struggle with fear. When we focus on the fear, our fear increases. When we focus on the Lord, our fear decreases. You're going to fear what you focus on. I know I've talked about this on Sundays, uh, but uh, it's what the passage is talking about here. It's important that it's repeated. If you watch the news all day, every day, you're going to fear what the news is fear peddling on you. And now, by the way, you know, uh, whether it is Fox News or MSNBC, CNN, or whatever news source you watch, even if it's one off the beaten path, can I tell you what their number one goal is for you? 
It's to get you to watch their ads. Because their ads keep them going. They need to sell fear to keep you coming back. They get you addicted to fear. This is why I say all the time, just turn off the news. Well, Pastor Lejeune, surely you watch the news sometimes. I would say I average probably five minutes of news a day. And to me, I'm good. Uh, I, I might read a couple of news articles throughout the day. I might watch or listen on the radio to about five minutes of news a day on average. You know what? I'd rather walk with God. Because me watching the news, I'm not going to be able to probably change any of it. And I don't want to develop such a strong opinion on something outside of the Bible that causes me to fight with somebody else. I don't want to develop such a strong opinion I can't reach my coworkers with the gospel because they consider me a political loon. Boy, I want to be concerned about with God. I want to focus on the Lord. I want to fear the Lord because ultimately, whatever goes on in this world, the Lord is in charge. He is our fortress. When we hide behind Him, nothing will happen to us unless He signs off on it. Number one, we see Ethiopia's fear. Number two, Ethiopia's fortress. Number three, notice a serious fall. A serious fall. Look at verse five and six. Now, a serious not mentioned by name here, but Assyria is talked about all throughout these chapters, and Assyria was the ever-present military force during that time. Look at verse 5. For afore the harvest, when the bud is perfect, and the sour grape is ripening in the flower, he, speaking of the nation of Assyria, shall uh, both, or rather, he, speaking of the Lord, shall both cut off the sprigs with pruning hooks. Now, that's speaking of Assyria. And take away and cut down the branches. So we see this as a typology, just as a, 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 a husbandman or a gardener goes in and cuts down um, and prunes down, the Assyrian army is going to be pruned down or cut off. Verse 6, they shall be left together unto the fowls of the mountains and to the beasts of the earth, and the fowls shall summer upon them, and all the beasts of the earth shall winter Upon them. So what's that mean? This army is going to be wiped out. Their corpses are going to be laid in the wilderness. During the summertime, the birds are going to come and picket their fleshes. Their flesh. The birds are going to come and picket their flesh. And in the winter, when the birds have migrated somewhere else, the animals are going to come in and finish them off. Turn with me in your Bible to Isaiah 37. And look at verse 36. We're almost done here. i got a really neat ending to the message tonight. I can't wait to share with you. Isaiah 37, and look at verse number 36 here. We'll get to that neat ending when we get to the last point. Verse 36, speaking of the Assyrian army, the Bible says, Then the angel of the Lord went forth and smote in the camp of the Assyrians a hundred and fourscore and five thousand, or 185,000. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. So the Assyrian army that the um, uh, Ethiopians or Cushites were so afraid of, and again, justifiably so, but afraid of this army coming down, God sends Isaiah to tell them, don't fear, the Lord is in charge. They're never going to touch you. Uh, their bodies are going to be fed upon by the fowls of the air uh, in the summer and the beasts of the, of the earth in the winter. Lo and behold, an angel of the Lord goes through and wipes out the entire 185,000 uh, army of the Assyrians and their bodies are fed upon by the animals of this earth. The Assyrians fall. Listen, when God says that He's in charge... You can rest assured that he's in charge. Amen? 
When God says, uh, when God gives you a promise in Scripture, you can write it down. He's going to come through on His promise. He never lets us down. Number one, uh, we see Ethiopia's fear. Number two, their fortress. Number three, a serious fall. Why was God so favorable toward Ethiopia? Well, let me give you number four, Ethiopia's future. Ethiopia's future. Look at verse number seven. Isaiah 18, verse 7. In that time, this is prophetic, this is yet to happen. In that time shall the present be brought, or the gift be brought unto the Lord of hosts of a people scattered and peeled, and from a people terrible or awesome from their beginning uh, hitherto, a nation meted out and trodden underfoot, again speaking of the Jews, whose land the rivers have spoiled to the place of the name of the Lord of hosts, the Mount Zion. One day, King Jesus is going to set up his kingdom in Jerusalem and the Ethiopians, the Cushites, they're going to come and they're going to bring gifts to Jesus in Jerusalem. They're going to make the trip from Cush, from Ethiopia, the Sudan, Somalia. They're going to make a trip from East Africa uh, across Egypt, over into the Middle East, over into Jerusalem. They're going to go into Mount Zion and they're going to give a gift to the Lord. Now, I find it really interesting how religious Ethiopia has become. Uh, turn over to Acts chapter eight with me in your Bibles. This is uh, what I. Uh, this is the, uh, the 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 neat ending. I, I've been excited all day uh, to share it with the church tonight. Look at Acts chapter eight and uh, look at verse number twenty six. We're not going to end up reading all these verses uh, because I believe everyone here is familiar with it. But uh, here we find Philip. And he's having a revival in Samaria. People are getting saved left and right. And uh, the angel of the Lord, well, look at verse 26, okay? When we get to 26, he's in Samaria having great success with the gospel. The Bible says, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south under the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch, uh, by the way, that e- word Ethiopia there, uh, we believe to be the same region of Cush. Uh, we believe to be from that same area, okay? Uh, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship. You all know the story. He's gone to Jerusalem. Uh, he's probably had business on behalf of the queen there. And while he was there, he picked up a scroll uh, of the book of Isaiah Isaiah is where we find the prophecy to Ethiopia. And lo and behold, lo and behold, he's coming back with the scroll of Isaiah. He's reading it. He doesn't understand it. And then what happens? What happens? Philip comes up in the, in the uh, chariot there, and he happens to be on the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. He's reading about the crucified Christ, the prophecy of the crucified Christ. And Philip gets up in the chariot, and he tells him how to be saved. And this eunuch, this powerful man in Ethiopia, he gets saved, he gets baptized, and he goes back to Ethiopia. Now, that was one of many sources that brought the gospel there to that region. Uh, many biblical historians believe that Matthew, the tax collector, also traveled to Ethiopia. And Matthew went throughout the land of Ethiopia proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And boy, God did a great work in that land. Now, currently, and again, I'm going to use the word Christianity loosely here, but currently 63% of the country of Ethiopia holds to some form of Christianity. Now, are they all gospel uh, Christians? No. Okay, I want to be clear on that. Uh, but they believe in Jesus the Christ up against Muhammad and Islam. 
All right. Now, um, uh, Islam swept through that part of Africa many years ago, and all of the other countries around Ethiopia caved and gave in to Islamic rule, but not the Ethiopians. The Ethiopians held to their Christian roots. There's a lot of Coptic Christians in Ethiopia. There are plenty of Protestant Christians in Ethiopia. Uh, there are more Christians in the region of Ethiopia in Africa per, per, per capita than any other part of the continent. And one day, when Jesus comes back and sets up his kingdom, the Ethiopians are going to go back. Now, here's what I wanted to pull out. God knows the future, all right? So here you have these Ethiopians, and they're fearful. The Cushites, they're fearful. God looks ahead in time and sees a people who's going to be tender to the gospel. And he begins to protect them from the Assyrians hundreds of years prior, knowing that their great-great-grandchildren are going to be tender to the gospel. Isn't that great? How God looked at it in time and He saw them and He said, You're fearful now. I'm going to protect you from this army of Assyria because I know that your lineage, your descendants are going to get saved. They're going to believe in Me. And this country is going to become, in many aspects, a Christian nation for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. I'm going to put My hands of protection around you now, knowing the very thing that's coming down the way. I'm glad we serve a God who is not only all-powerful, He's all-knowing and ever-loving. Look at Isaiah chapter 60 with me this evening. Again, verse 7 said that the nation of Israel, uh, uh, this, these people that are scattered abroad, they would, uh, that, that, that uh, they would be reestablished and that King Jesus would be put up again. I'm uh, inferring some things there out of that verse. But, uh, and then it says that they would come back and bring a gift to the king there in Zion. Look at verse number 1 of Isaiah 60. It says, Arise, shine for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. And the Gentiles, the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. This is speaking of the millennial reign, and when the Gentiles come to worship Jesus. Verse 4, Lift up thine eyes round about, and see all they gather themselves together. They come to thee. Thy sons shall come from far, and thy daughters shall be nursed at thy side. Then thou shalt see and flow together, and thine heart shall fear and be enlarged, because the abundance of the sea shall be converted unto thee. The force of the Gentiles shall come unto thee. The multitude of camels shall cover thee. The uh, drama, uh, dromedaries of Midian and, and, and Ephah, uh, all they from Sheba uh, shall come. They shall bring gold and incense, and they shall show forth the praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered together unto thee. The rams of Nebioth, uh, Nebioth uh, shall minister unto thee. They shall come up with acceptance of on, thy, of my, on mine altar, and I will glorify the house of my glory. Many of these geographical locations mentioned in these verses reference back to the land of Africa. These people will come and they will worship the Lord in His presence. They will make the journey. Why? Because they have been saved and they are coming into the presence of God. And listen, I look forward to a day when every color and creed and race and nation and tongue uh, will stand shoulder to shoulder and none of those things will matter anymore. Will we still know that people were from another tongue or nation or color. Uh, when we get to heaven, when we, we get to the millennial reign, will we know? Of course we'll know. But will we care? Nope. We won't care. Uh, racism will not be pushed on us anymore. 
There will not be a racist bone in any uh, redeemed one's heart. We'll stand shoulder to shoulder and we'll worship the king. Amen? It's going to be a great day. Here's what I want you to take away from the Bible study this evening. God does not just hold your todays. He holds your tomorrows. He already knows what's going to happen. You can trust Him and you can rest assured that the Lord is in charge. You know, i got to tell you, there are times where I have crisis at my office. Someone comes to my office and says, this person's going through this crisis and uh, this is happening to this person or, or we're having a problem here at the church. Uh, we had an, a, a bus back up on an assistant pastor Sometime back, and Miss Rose Okai came running in the building. Pastor, pastor. And I remember bells and whistles going off in my head, and we went running outside to try to help them. That was a time of crisis. That was a scary thing. Can I tell you that while that caught me off guard, God does not live in crisis management mode. He already knows. He already knows, and He's already in charge. We may get bad news, but the Lord already knows. You can trust God. He holds your tomorrows. Whatever evil is coming upon you, He already signed off on it, and He has a plan for it. Don't focus on the problem. Focus on the Lord who is greater than the problem. Learn to walk with God. Walk in those paths of righteousness. Walk by faith, and you'll watch fear. It'll just melt away. Amen? I hope that was an encouragement to you tonight, and I hope you understand Isaiah 18 a little bit better, and I hope your faith will be stronger. Let's walk by faith this week. Let's stand together. We'll be dismissed with a word of prayer, and uh, let's go forth this week walking with our uh, God. Amen.